little bit better. Good morning. It's great to be in worship with you and great to um, be back. And um, as BT mentioned, we, um, when we got a chance to be with our partners, uh, Loida and, um, and Luis Miguel, we got a chance to visit uh, with individuals who were not just from Colombia, but literally all over, Ecuador, Venezuela. It was really, really cool to see how individuals responded to the word, uh, to the word of God. And um, uh, as, as BT mentioned, probably one of the highlights, there were a couple of highlights for me, uh, one of going visiting this place called Comuna 13 or Comuna 13, um, you can look it up, and I'm absolutely phenomenal transformation story from um, uh, gorillas, not, not the animals, but the, the actual militia training 10-year-old kids to kill. And, um, and one of our guides, the guide that was with us, he was uh, eight years old when um, there was a two-day uh, campaign to take the community back, and it's called Orion. And uh, he was eight years old, and he saw it all, and he was the one, one of the individuals that was leading us through the community. It is truly a, an amazing uh, story of transformations. That was one highlight. The second highlight, as BT mentioned, um, just listening and watching people weep over Scripture. Um, it, was, it, it was significant for me. Like audibly, no music, no underscore, just literally the spirit and the word uh, touching people's lives. And uh, so that was a, just a highlight for me, really impacted, uh, impacted my life while we were. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for your consistent, consistent support over the years. Um, we believe that Latin America is going to be okay because the gospel is in good hands with individuals who are preaching the word and preaching it well. And so that's what we aim to do here, to preach the word and preach it, um, preach it well. Uh, over the last several weeks, what we've attempted to do is, um, is highlight uh, and cause us to remember uh, something very important about us, and that is our identity in Christ. Uh, it's really important for us because um, who we are really determines what we do. Who we are determines what we do. It's a significant, significant. If we don't understand who we are, we might end up living outside of who God created us to be. I remember growing up, um, we, uh, my, my father would remind me, my, my mother and father would remind me before I left home, uh, remember you are a Williams. Remember you are a Williams. And and when they said that, I understood exactly what they meant because there are certain things that Williams do and Williams don't do. There are certain things that as a family we did and certain things that as a family we did not do. You carry the name Williams in our household. I'm quite sure you probably have experienced the same thing with your parents or mother or father, your, your grandparents, that if you carry weight with that last name. And so there are certain things we just didn't do. Now there are some things that I didn't do because I was afraid that I would get in trouble, my father would beat me. That was, that was one reason. But, but there was deeper motivation and that was because of my identity, my last name. And um, so, so as a Williams, we, we just simply did not disrespect elder, our elders. 
We, we just did not do that. We, we, it was yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And even if they, quote unquote, in our minds, they didn't deserve that honor and respect, our parents said, this is simply what Williams do. Now, that's a, that's a universal truth. It should be for all of us. But in our home, that was a big deal. Uh, one of the things, another, things that, another thing that we did is that we, um, I can't remember a time where we didn't go past where we did not have someone in our home. So one of the things that we did, we were always opening our lives and opening our home to other people, whether, um, whether it was them spending a night, spending the night at our house or cooking food for them. There are certain things that, God, that my, my parents would say, God has blessed us, so why hoard the blessings that God has given us? We open our lives and we open our home to other, to other people because who we are determines what we do. Who we are determines what we do. You probably remember this little nursery rhyme, Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London to visit the queen. Pussycat, Pussycat, what did you do there? I frightened a little mouse under her chair. So, so, so can you imagine the conversation with the, the cat's friends when he came back? Like, you came back from London, and that's, a, that's such an amazing city. I know you saw so much. Tell me, what was the queen like? Tell me, how did the queen take her tea and drink her tea? And the cat said, well, like, I don't know. Like, 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 like you, you mean to tell me that you went all the way to London and you, you were in one of the most amazing cities and you can't tell me that what the queen was like. I said, no, but I did see a little mouse that was under her chair that if I really cut my paws on it, that would, that like, like, why would the cat say that? Well, the cat would say that because the cat is a cat. Because who you are determines what you see and what you do. Cat wasn't worried about the queen. The cat was worried about its, its nature. Its nature is to chase mice. And I, I, I would imagine that as followers of Jesus, we've been chasing a lot of mice. That we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten that we are royalty, and we've forgotten that we are um, who God says we are. I know sometimes I forget. I, I forget, and I end up saying things and doing things that is so uh, contradictory to my identity and my nature. I'm quite sure if you're anything like me, you probably feel the same way. But it doesn't make it less true of us that we are who God says we are, because who we are will determine what we do. So the Bible calls us and says a lot of things about us. The Bible says that we are saints, and I know we don't always feel that way, but the Bible says we are. The Bible says we are justified. That is, when we stand before God, we are right before God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. The Bible says we are children of God for those who believe that, that God is our father and we, uh, we are his children. And so he's called us to act like his children. The Bible says we are forgiven. And, and so, 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 
the Bible says a lot about us, and yet I want to I give us one more thing that the Bible says. And I want to admit that there's a frustration here because identity is such a big topic to talk about and to fit into a few weeks. So we hope this was wetting, this, we hope that this whets your appetite to say, I want to go deeper. I want to understand what the Bible says about what God actually says about me so I can live day by day in what he says about me. But I want to focus on one that, another one that um, we've, uh, we've covered in the videos that we've been sending so that as to remind you. Uh, and it is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If you're looking on the Bible that the church provides, it's page 566. If you don't, you don't know your way around the Bible, page 566. If you're looking on a physical copy of the Bible or a digital copy, it is first, second, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 17. This is a very familiar passage to a lot of individuals. If you've been a Christian a while, um, this is a very familiar. Some people, some people say, this is my life's verse. So a life's verse is one, the moment you become a believer, there are individuals who hold on to verses as a source of encouragement, as a source of, re, uh, uh, as a source of reminding them of who they are. They memorize this, this life verse and they say, yes, this is the verse that I'm going to take with me literally everywhere because it, it, it actually characterizes my life. So 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17. And I want us to read it together. Want to, yes. Nine, what did I say? Five, okay, 966. Thank you so much. Thank you. See, that's the kind of church we got. We can just yell stuff out like that. <laughs> Don't you like that? That some people are like, they're throw, like, whoa, I'm thrown off. Like, like, thank you. Thank you so much. You made me look better now or dumb because I didn't see it. You got these big old glasses on and you can't see. So, so um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I want us to read it together. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now again, this is such a powerful verse. Such a powerful verse. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's true of you and it's true of me. So we have to ask the question. We start this verse off, therefore, Paul starts this verse off, therefore. And as you're, as you're, as you're studying the Bible, as we're going to talk about next month, when you engage the Bible, words matter. So the question is, therefore, therefore refers back to something. So you have to ask the question, the therefore is there for a reason. And it's, uh, it's the immediate context. Typically, therefore takes you back to the very beginning of a chapter. But in this case, it's in the immediate context that Paul is pointing us to. And the immediate context is verses 14, 15, and 16. So I want to look at that and read. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, talking about Jesus. Jesus has died for all of us, 
did not discriminate. Therefore, all have died. So there's something mysterious that happens when you and I trust Jesus. Just as Jesus died, our old nature dies. The old person, the old Marvin, the old you dies with Christ as well. And then it says, um, uh, we have concluded that this, uh, this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Jesus died for us, and then he was raised again for us. And he did that so that we might actually be transformed so that you and I might live differently. That's really the idea, that you and I might live differently. The way we lived before Jesus, when he comes into our lives, he now changes our perspective. He changes what we see. He changes who we are. And because he changes who we are, he gives us a new identity. And who we are begins to determine what we do. That's, a, that's the idea. So, so his death and his, uh, his death and his resurrection actually begins to change the way we relate to one another. Uh, we no longer live selfish lives. At least that's the way it should be. We are all in process. We are all being transformed. We are all being this big word sanctified. We are looking more and more like Jesus as we give the spirit room in our lives. And so, so we, we don't live selfish lives. The epitome of sacrifice and the epitome of selflessness is seen with Jesus hanging on the cross for you and for me. So he's modeled that because he's modeled that. We're to take that model and now to go into the world. He pushes us into the world in our workplaces, in our homes, to live selfless, sacrificial lives. And so, so that therefore is taking us back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's taking us back to who he has made us to be. And the reason why we can live selfless lives is found in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So a person who is in Christ and that's a $75 word for a phrase, and this is one of Paul's favorite phrases, in Christ. And that just simply means that we are now united with Christ. In a mysterious way, the moment you and I surrender our lives to Christ, something spiritual happened to you and me. We were connected to Christ. His life now flows through us. We have his mind. Even though sometimes we don't think like him, and we don't sound like him, and we don't act like him, the reality is this, that the moment you and I surrendered our lives to Jesus, Jesus took up residence in our lives through the Holy Spirit, and we have a different identity. We have a different way of thinking about certain things, and we are, in fact, new creations. I wish, now this doesn't, let me tell you what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that we are physically changed the moment we except Jesus. I wish that were the case. I wish the moment I became a, a Christian at 13 years old, I wish that some physical unwanted features of mine changed. I wish that. 
I had acne real bad. I wish that like, moment I trust Jesus, all my acne went away. I wish that were the case. I wish, I wish, I wish. The moment I accepted Jesus, I got a, like, you know, three feet added to my stature. I wish that were the case. <laughs> it's not the case. That's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about a physical. He's not talking about rehabilitation. And he is not talking about turning over a new leaf. He is literally talking about God bringing something in existence that was not in existence. It actually goes back to creation. At the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, the world was void and it was a wasteland. It was dark and it it did not have any shape or form. And then God in his sovereignty spoke and there was light and there was life. And that's the same thing that happened with you and me the moment you had trusted Jesus. I don't, I don't fully understand it. Is that the moment you and I trusted Jesus, God spoke and there was a new life in you. So you started thinking differently. Started talking differently. I remember at 13 when I became a believer, um, I was a, so I was a, this is something you may not know about your pastor. I was a cusser. I cussed a lot. Like, I, I cussed all the time. And, um, and the moment I became a believer, it was almost like I got ready to cuss. Some of you probably, probably like, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was another voice that said, you better not say that. <laughs> and in that moment, I recognized that I was a different Marvin. Because before, I would say stuff, and it didn't bother me. And when I got ready to say something this time, it, number one, it bothered me, and, and it was something going on inside of me. That was the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in you as well. So we become brand new. It's another nature inside of us guiding and leading us. In fact, in fact, some people don't know that there's, a, there's really kind of a dotted line back to Isaiah. If you have, uh, turn over to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. As Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, page 624, not 524. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. So this is a prediction of how the world will change when Jesus comes back the second time. So verse 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So Isaiah looked down the tunnel of history and saw when Messiah, not only when he would first come, but when he would come back a second time. And when Jesus returns, we believe, as followers of Jesus, we believe that he will restore the world. That, that wickedness, wickedness and pain and suffering and evil will be wiped away. God, God will wipe away every tear and there will be a renewal of this world and a renewal of us and... And, 
And Peter captures this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. We're not going to turn there. He looks down and says, that's what we're waiting on. We're waiting the pain and the ache that we have. Every time we turn on the TV and we see something evil and painful, there's an ache inside of us. Yes, we're aching because that thing happened, but there's something in us that's aching for a new world. We're aching for a new and renewed world. And when Jesus comes back, he is going to renew the world and he's going to renew us. There will be no more evil and pain and suffering and earthquakes. There will be none of that. He will renew this world. There will be no more murders and abortions. He will renew the world and we will celebrate that. There's an ache inside of us. And then John saw in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, he gives us a little glimpse of the new world, this renewed world. This is the imagery that Paul stamps on chapter 5, verse 17. That the same way the world is going to be radically renewed when Jesus comes back, that is the same radical transformation God worked in you and me the moment we accepted Jesus. Wow. Say, Marvin, I don't, man, I don't feel that way. We do not live our Christian life based on feelings. We live our life based on the truth that God says about us. And what he says, we are new. We have different priorities. We have different way of thinking now. We have even uh, the, the way we interact with our family members and friends, there's a difference. Only God can take a persecutor and make him a preacher. Paul would testify to that. Only God can take a fearful person who is hiding in a wine press and turn him into a faithful warrior. Gideon would testify to that. Only God can take um, a, a liar and like Abraham and turn him into the father of many nations. Only God can take a Peter, uh, he would testify that I betrayed him, I denied him, and then he filled me, and I stood up one day, and I preached a message, and 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Only God can change someone like that. If we were to work the room right now, you would testify and say, hey, I was this, and God changed me into this. And so over here, I was this, and God changed me into this. I was a liar and God changed me into a truth teller. I was a thief and God turned me into a generous giver. Only God can take a life that was filled with void and waste and darkness and speak and change it just like that. And so, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone is in Christ, they become a brand new creation. They become a brand new creation. The old has passed away. That is the old judgment, the old shame, uh, the old way of thinking, and the new has come. He's given us an opportunity to trust him daily with our lives, and he makes it new. So, so if you um, if you are if you're a parent, if you're a parent, you probably have had a toddler that uh, a toddler that either you know used permanent marker 
uh, on your walls or maybe decided that they were going to give your other children a haircut or maybe while, give you a haircut while you were asleep. Um, but I'd imagine you, don't, you did not have a toddler like this young man, this little boy, two years old, by the name of Ben. Not, um, he, he, um, his parents, Ben Sr. and Jackie, um, one Sunday, they, um, they found that uh, a large sum of money was missing, $1,060. So $1,060 that they were saving to pay Ben's mother back because they had given um, uh, Ben and Jackie money to pay for season tickets at the, Utah, uh, the University of Utah college football games. And so they couldn't find it. The envelope wasn't where they thought it should be. So they turned over the house. They're looking. They're turning over couches, and they're literally messing up the house trying to find this money. And then Jackie um, screams, I found it. Well, the $1,060, um, she found it in the shredder. Yeah, little two-year-old Ben. I would have whipped his butt, but I'm just saying... <laughs> So, little, so, so his mother was teaching him how to shred uh, old mail. And he found the $1,060 and said, oh, I don't think this is important. And he shredded it. So Jackie cried first. And then she, I mean, then she laughed. I don't know if I would have been laughing all that much. Uh, but she, she started laughing like, like this is, you know, there's, what can you do? You can't really do anything about this. And so, um, so they thought all hope was lost, but they found out that it wasn't because there is an actual department, and some of, your, some of our dollars pay for this, I'm glad, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing offers a solution. There's an entire department in the Department of Treasury called Mutilated Currency Division. <laughs> Seriously. And there, this department is strictly devoted to redeeming burned, rodent-chewed, and deteriorated money. They get 30,000 cases a year to the tune of $30 million a year. They take mutilated money, and, and somehow they restore it for cash. And this is what happened to the Belknaps. They got their money back because their little two-year-old decided to shred it. Well, we don't have a department of mutilated currency, but we do have a God who takes mutilated lives that life has chewed up your life. And if you give it to him, he will take it and transform it to something new. 
I don't know where you are right now, but the God of heaven, the God who spoke life and worlds into existence is the same God that took our broken and torn and ruined lives and we gave it to him by faith and we say, change my life. And there was a great exchange that happened. We gave him our mutilated, broken, torn lives and he gave us a brand new life in Jesus Christ. So when he looks at us, he doesn't look at a mutilated life anymore. He looks at someone whose lives have been transformed by the finished work of Jesus. We are brand new. We are brand new. So let's read this passage again. Let's read it again with this sense of conviction. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's read it one more time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what God says about you. You are brand new recreate it in Christ. So when we go out into the world tomorrow, when we go out into um, the events that we uh, have planned this week, let's go with this sense that we are new. But why? Because who we are determines what we do.